0: Did you see Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast, I'm James, this is Pete. G'day folks. Alright, it is episode 177, it's the 21st of July. Uh, bit of a different show, good show, bit of a different show, especially with the interview. We're going to be talking to Almas Nizmuddin, who is a vegan Muslim, and he's in Australia. And I mean, the whole world was uh, ter- like really disturbed by some of the drone footage that we were seeing coming out of China the Xinjiang province, to be precise, in the last couple of days. Uh, Almas is someone that's been trying to bring people's attention to this for a while. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people that know the horrors that are going on over there, or just basically know that there are horrors. What we do know is very limited from probably what's going on. But Almas's wife is in one of these camps, uh, and so is his mother, so we want to get him on to tell his story and just, you know, bring as much uh, light to his efforts as we can so different interview pretty heavy stuff but really really important i would say in the grand scheme of things Pete,
1: yeah pretty incredible to speak you know you think we think we've got problems and things like that but if you think about the horrific things that are going on for these people it was a pretty harrowing experience to talk to someone who's directly involved in that and we wish Elmas all the best of course so stick around for that interview it's fantastic
0: yeah we got a bunch of other topics as well we've got palmer not sitting we've got masks being mandatory in victoria heroes and villains Kanye kind of West's first political rally. We're going to cover that at the end. Anything else you're looking forward to, Pete? Uh,
1: I am looking forward to talking about my hero this week. Is it's? I'll say I won't give away too much, but it's part of my growing development as a, a pseudo monarchist.
0: Oh, I thought you were saying growing development as a human being, but uh, you know, well, so, you know, as long as we're developing, all right, baby steps. Let us let us talk about the fact that Parliament's not sitting. So, Pete, run us through it.
1: Well, I had to take this one because James is so fired up about it and so irate. Um, and I'd get just, into the
0: analysis too quickly. I would have no facts. I'd leave the facts for dead and yeah, straight to the analysis.
1: Just the, straight to the cursing. So and that, of course, is Parliament not sitting. They were going to sit for two weeks in August. Uh, but now... They're saying they're not going to sit until August twenty-four. This is the federal parliament, of course, that I'm talking about. And this is for safety reasons. They said that, you know, this is down to the fact that we can't have people flying in from all over the country into ACT and then go, excuse me, then going back to their communities and possibly spreading COVID. Uh, obviously, I mean, I know what I think about this. I think this is ridiculous. The whole bloody economy is running off Zoom and they've had months to sort out running a Zoom. But I, I want to hear what James thinks.
0: Pete, if I can quote our Prime Minister, uh, yep. we are all in this together. <laughs> I th- yep. believe that was a phrase. That
1: was the phrase. It's very bad. That was the
0: phrase. Uh, we're all in this together, except uh, the rest of the country, they have to figure out how to work from home. They have to sit on the Zoom meetings. They need the mental health effects that come with working from home for months on end. But for Parliament, that's no, it's too much. Too much of a hassle.
1: Exactly right, and they're gonna. I mean, they're meant to. Freidenberg is making his economic statement on Thursday. Do you do you think this is just a bit of a thing to uh, what's the word? Get around accountability and scrutiny of the decisions being made by the parliament in this extraordinary time?
0: I am probably not going to go that far to like assign meaning to things that are just happening. But come on, it, it's it is extraordinary. The rest of the country's figured out Zoom. British Parliament figured out Zoom, and the whole yeah. thing like. Uh, uh, this is the most important time in at least my lifetime sure your lifetime i'm sure pretty much every single person's lifetime i mean pete you are 800 years old but uh i I, I would say that was a pretty big time that was crazy decisions need to be made but the point is parliament sat through world war ii parliament sat through spanish flu and then in the time that we are the most connected as a human race in history then we can't go this is too hard like i get that you don't want politicians flying in from Victoria, especially in a bit of New South Wales. They get chin wagging with the, you know, a representative from the Northern Territory or South Australia where there is no coronavirus and suddenly there's coronavirus. Fine, don't gather in Canberra, but open up a Zoom account.
1: Yeah. I don't know. There's no reason why they can't do it online. They've had months to organize this. I, I yeah. 100% agree with you that they don't have to do it in person, but you know, if we can't yeah. organize an online chat for these guys, then, you know, we might as well give the keys of the joint to China as far as I'm the, concerned.
0: The future of JobKeeper. I mean, this is what? 3.5 million people depending on JobKeeper to keep yeah. bills coming in. And then obviously the people that are relying on other people getting JobKeeper's dependents, uh, Suppression v. Elimination strategies for COVID-19, billions of dollars that are flying out of Treasury at the moment. This is all coming from Evan Mulholland's article uh, in the City Morning Herald over the weekend, so head to iba.org.au. This is all stuff that you definitely need a parliament to be sitting around thinking about providing scrutiny, providing opposition, making sure the right decisions are being made, but because a bit hard, No.
1: Absolutely right, and I'm glad that you mentioned that was part of Evan Holland's article because I was thinking in my head, gee, I've heard that before, <laughs> yeah. uh, so I'm glad that you cited it. Well, let's get on to JobKeeper because as you said, that's an important point. Uh, as you mentioned, paying the wages of 3.5 billion Australians and has cost $70 billion has been extended from the end of September through to March twenty eighth, so an extra six months, will be reduced rate of twelve hundred bucks a fortnight. It was fifteen hundred bucks. Now it's twelve hundred bucks. There will be a steeper reduction in payments for the nine hundred thousand part time and casual workers. So as we've been talking about on the show, James, uh, a number of those people actually received a pay rise as a as a result of this. Yeah, uh, a few of subsequently... my friends,
0: a few of my friends are definitely turning down a few extra shifts because JobKeeper is paying more.
1: Do not blame them. <laughs> uh, anyway, so there's there's meant to be stricter eligibility uh, rules around that, and for businesses, um, so that they can more accurately work out what a business's actual loss of earnings. Uh, Job seeker, which of course is the thing that replaced New Start, which is the welfare thing, will also be at a reduced rate, but will still be on higher than um, the New Start was before the virus. So, you know, I guess obviously we're a small, uh, small government free market. Is that right? Yeah, small government, free market organization. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that is what you think, (laughs) Pete.
1: I thought I said small market, free government government. for a second. Uh, So you guys know what I mean. So obviously, you know, we're not big on government spending, but if you're going to ban businesses from opening, it is uh, appropriate that you compensate them. Um, I I think it's good that it's more targeted because that was an issue I had last time. Uh, And I think that... um, yeah, I think the main thing, though, we should be looking to end the lockdown quicker and reduce regulation and all that stuff rather than stimulus. What do you reckon, mate?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Job keeping just seemed to be the, the fair thing to do if you're gonna, if the government forces businesses to shut down for no fault of the businesses are and the government should at least provide some financial incentive. And now that, like, Victoria is still locking down, New South Wales looks like it's going to go the same way. Oh, no, the New South Wales has said when ruling out locking down, which is good on Glarus Berejiklian, but at least in Victoria... There's still a lot of people that definitely need it because they literally are banned from going to work. Um, so good for you raising that. I want to, re- sorry, I'm I'm still fired up about the parliaments, and I've still got a few oh, more things to say. Sorry. I want to give, I want to give, and you know, street cred being uh, received to me here. But hats off to Adam Band because Adam Band seems to be the one politician really flying the flag, uh, flying the flag. Um, publicly saying the parliament should still be sitting he says it seems 2020 is a year of online meetings of working remotely for everyone except parliamentarians it is not beyond it is not beyond our wit to work out how to meet in a manner that complies with health requirements thank you adam bant mm. thank you the greens and also the signal it sends. so scott morrison is saying we need to uh, not, stop trying to eliminate coronavirus we need to instead learn to deal with this thing and then for the signal it's to send, for the government to then say, okay, but we're shutting down. Like how do other businesses and how do other state governments then get the idea that they should be getting people back to work if the federal government's not doing it themselves? Like they need to walk the walk.
1: I think it – I sort of – you didn't want to point the finger. I can – it's a little bit of like, oh, it's just so much easier without all these other knuckleheads here disagreeing with us. Let's just – I mean, that can't
0: – I'm not saying that's not a factor because yeah, oppositions kind of suck when you're in government because they get difficult. in the way.
1: That's right, and good on on Adam, Adam Bent. You know who says we uh, don't we play the man on this show? Nah, you no, know, never. We we gave him a cook last week for that allegedly fake letter, but um, yeah, yeah. No, he's right. On it this.
0: definitely happened, mate. It, it hit him square in the noggin from fifteen floors up, and it was perfect.
1: It was the greatest. It was the greatest thing ever. No, of perfect. course, oh, sorry, go on.
0: No, no, I was just going to make more jokes about it, but then <laughs> the moment kind of passed, and I was like going going back to the well too often.
1: That's all right. That's all right. I don't want that. All right, so should we move on to the other major story, James? Yeah, so this one,
0: uh, you know, we do get a big story focused on this show, but, you know, we do live here, and also it does seem to be the epicentre of Australia's coronavirus right now. Victoria, uh, well, basically Melbourne and the adjacent Mitchell Shire from 11.59pm on Wednesday. We are going to have mandatory face masks when you're out and about in public, uh, and there's going to be a fine if you do not have one. Now, look, I'm not, you know, obviously I'm in favour of, wearing masks i think it's pretty clear that they work but this is a brutal look for people that were saying from the start just trust the experts get the politicians out of the way can everyone shut up and just listen to the experts because if i can quote the u.s surgeon general from the 29th of february this year seriously people stop buying masks or caps they are not not also in caps effective in preventing general public from catching coronavirus uh, sorry, I've clicked down. Unfortunately, uh, not effective in preventing the general public from catching coronavirus, but if healthcare providers can't get to them to care for sick patients, it puts them in our communities at risk. So that is US Surgeon General telling people not buy masks in February. Now, again, we should be wearing masks, but I would like a little bit more, okay, we stuffed up. From the Yeah. Like, a bit more like, all right, look, what we said was wrong, but trust us this time, which is hard, but that is what's happening.
1: <laughs> that is not a gear. They don't have that gear at all. It's always... <laughs> People need to people need to play by the rules and stuff like that. He's always pointing the finger, you know. Yeah. And 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 it's like the fifty-eighth time that they have not held up their end of the bargain, you know. So strictest coronavirus rules in the country, okay. But the things that we really needed them to do, like not stuff up the mask thing and not stuff up quarantine and not be soft on protests, they weren't able to do. But um, yeah. No, you're right. And there's all these like these what would you call them, like condescending memes flying around about how important masks are. And if you don't think masks are important, you must be an anti-vaxxer and things like that. It's like five minutes ago, this is what all the health authorities were saying. So, uh, yeah, that's me. i tell you what I
0: have seen a lot is like friends of mine posting how good they are for wearing masks. It does yeah. just seem to be like, you know, if you wear a mask in a forest and no one's around to like it on Instagram, did you even wear one? And I got to yeah. say, like, I actually have some sympathies because... Because I'm the most forgetful person in the world, I've been trying to, like, work masks into my daily routine because I know if I leave it till the time that it's illegal to not wear one, I'm then going to forget and get fined. So, like, I'm just trying to pre-aware. And you do feel a rush of, like, ooh... Wearing a mask. Look at me, mask okay, boy. No, yeah. yeah, if you're wearing a mask and, like no one else is, you just be like, mm, "Guess I'm taking this a bit more seriously."
1: Yeah, that. No, nah, that's exactly right. And what, then what you got to put- go
0: like, "Actually, I should uh, take my own lunch money for that." <laughs> like,
1: that is the nerdiest thing I've ever done. What's that? What did you just say? didn't hear you- the last. Thing you oh, said, just yeah? like
0: to get to get like very up uh, up and about for wearing a mask is just like I should take my own lunch money. Like I should bully myself out of oh, being yeah, that yeah. so uh arrogant.
1: I, I always yeah. sort of feel like I'm in like ER or what one of those – what's it other this show? Grey's Anatomy, you know, like I've got house. the mask on. I'm really important. Yeah, yeah house. Yeah, I'm the lovable yeah. renegade in house. Um, and no, but I was, I started wearing one. Like everyone wears one. Like last week, everyone was wearing one. And I don't mind them making it compulsory. I'd rather swap – I'd rather them make the mask compulsory and reduce some of the lockdown stuff, you know. so you know, Yeah, it does we-
0: seem to be that we went masks over stage four, which – I didn't even know what stage four was, but I just knew it was going to be scary. But like, you can't keep people at home forever, so at least if they're going to go out and about, they should wear a mask.
1: That's exactly right. Uh, right. And yeah, no, that's really all I've got for that. I yeah, and say. also
0: just stay coercion over masks is scary because, I mean, they originally said they're not going to find the Black Lives Matter protesters because that wasn't just feasible to find 10,000 people when they gather, but apparently it's feasible to Find people all around Australia. Oh, sorry, all around Melbourne for not wearing masks. I think you're going to see some pretty ugly scenes of people just. You know, we've only been given two days yeah. to find a mask, and there's already limits on panic buying masks. I mean, there are people that aren't financially available to. Sorry, aren't financially able to afford masks. What happens to them? Do they get fined two hundred bucks?
1: Yeah, and there's also people that just don't watch the news, and don't care, and maybe a bit old. Maybe don't know. English, not a first language, stuff like that. So it does have the capacity for vulnerable people to cop it. I would yeah. I've noticed that um, one, of the, one of the exemptions struck me as a bit odd. So obviously, if you're a kid, you don't have to wear one. If you've got a health condition, you don't have to wear one. But if you're running, you also don't have to wear one. Now, surely when you're wheezing along the footpath, blowing and huffing and puffing, you know, and you're spitting, not spitting, but, you know, you might be accidentally spitting and you're sharing a path with someone coming the other way, surely that's just as dangerous as bloody walking. In fact, more dangerous than walking. Why is that exempted?
0: Uh, I think, well, because one of my friends is a runner and she was raising that it would just genuinely get extremely hard to breathe and you might have a few like asthmatic incidences, which I kind of get, but I get, I'm, I'm with, like, I'm just trying to explain it. So <laughs> you rolled your eyes. Oh, I didn't I roll my <laughs> eyes. You rolled your eyes a little. Don't bit.
1: explain it. You just nah. want to be going, yeah, yeah, what. Right. <laughs> nah, nah, but I mean, look, there's, I mean, there's a million there's a million circumstances where lockdown and measures are bad for people. It's just odd that they've chosen this one. It's clearly just because this one doesn't sell politically because it's really, you basically can't run then.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Now, Pete, you saw a poll you wanted to talk about in regards to the masks.
1: That's right. Now this poll, I'm a little bit flat about actually, it was sold into the Australian. It was, uh, they called it an exclusive news poll conducted for the Australian (laughs) and they sold it as this massive collapse in Andrews, Daniel Andrews' support, I don't think it's as big as they're saying it is, uh, it said, uh, what did they say? Unprecedented universal f- support for state and Labor coalition premiers throughout the crisis has turned into a partisan electoral assault on Andrews. So in you know, all the other states, the, whatever the leader is, they have a high amount of approval amongst coalition and Labor voters, irrespective of what party they're in. So pandemic, really good for the pollies. Uh, yeah, I think writing-
0: people rally around the leader in times of yeah. crisis like you think like patriotism after 9/11 and yeah. stuff like that yeah
1: natural disasters terrorist attacks pandemics anyway so the approval ratings for Daniel Andrews was 57% that is a 10 point fall since 3 weeks ago and an 18 point fall since April uh there was an 11 point drop to 61% in those claiming to be satisfied with his management of the pandemic and the Australians like, gee, this, you know, that's a massive collapse in his support. Who are these 61% that thinks he's handled the pandemic well? That's unbelievable. How is that not zero? What thing has he handled well about this pandemic? He's got every single thing wrong. 61%. I can't even
0: answer that. I, I could answer the running one. I can't answer that one. That's, it, it's, it's a really high number. And I just I <laughs> will refer to the fact people rally around leaders and they don't want to stand up. But yeah, 61 is extraordinary. It's, and also, uh, really, like I think it might be comparing, like people comparing. It's like, oh well, it could have been happened what happened in the US, but
1: oh, uh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Actually, that's not a bad point. Everyone thinks that yeah, it would have happened in whatever happened in America would have happened here if it wasn't for the great Daniel Andrews.
0: Yes, the one man anyway. standing back. Uh, all right, let's move on to uh, yeah. This is a bit of a uh, somber one. So the whole world captivated this week by that drone footage, which is extraordinary that it got out of the Uyghur Muslims uh, being led into those trains. I mean, it's obviously so reminiscent of photos of uh, people going into the concentration camps and the world has always said never again, you know, this is our chance to stand up for that principle. I mean, this is something that's unfilling right in front of our eyes. Well, literally now, like we, we we've seen the trains, we know what's sort of going on and, the stories I mean we're going to be talking to someone later in the show about that but all the stories of forced sterilizations and brutal labor camps so it's it's incredible that we have this footage and it's so hard for governments to now ignore the fact that this footage exists there's a very viral clip right now of the Chinese ambassador to Britain being quizzed on the Andrew Marshall on the BBC about the footage and he's just gone absolutely nothing he just immediately launches into how beautiful the province is and just completely ignoring the fact that he's being presented with this video. So it, it's, I, I don't know, it's, it's really horrific footage, uh, really emotional stuff, but it's, it's good to see the world really stand up this time.
1: Yeah, exactly right. So the, so just for those that don't know, the Uyghurs are a Turkic-speaking minority ethnic group living in Xinjiang province in China. The UN estimates it's between 1 and 1. 1.5 million of them incarcerated at the moment. And what this is, this is part of the CCP's policy of sinocization. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. So the main ethnic group in China is the Han Chinese people, which is like 93% of the Chinese population. And they're trying to make the other ethnic groups be more like them and be more culturally influenced by them. And of course, China's a very multicultural country um, so and Uyghurs are a Muslim uh, group and they've been prevented from praying and having beards and their mosques have being bulldozed and stuff like that so in case you've never heard of this before that's some of the stuff that's been going on like that and we'll speak to Almas later a little bit about some of the stuff that's happened to him so but what what do you do about it that's the that's the question and I think uh, sometimes it's really hard you know with stuff like this going on in other countries particularly a country that's really powerful like China it's like what can you actually do about it now what Majid Nawaz has done and he's a pretty famous intellectual, which people might be familiar with. He's in the intellectual dark web. He actually used to be a radical Islamist, by the way, which is a very interesting story. You should read about that if you haven't already. He went on a hunger strike and said he wants the the UK government to have a debate about the situation in China with the Uyghurs uh, and start to target members of the Chinese regime who are, um, what's the word, violating human rights of Uyghur people. Um, And to do that, he needed 100,000 signatures, which he's got. So he's now off the hunger strike, which is good. Uh, And from the Australian perspective, that's really interesting because the the UK have what the US have, and that is called, and I don't want to pronounce this incorrectly, the Magnitsky legislation, which basically allows the US to target the individual members of regimes that are um, violating human rights. The UK have that, but Australia doesn't have that, and there's been a debate in Australia recently. Target them for what? So freeze their assets. uh, Oh, right. I was just like, kill them. I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> no, right. not, not, not that. So, freezer assets, don't allow them to move around as much. Like, don't allow them entry into the US and the UK and things like that. So, it's, you know, like with, in the past, they've done big sanctions against countries, which have sort of punished the poor people in the country and not really hurt the people at the top. So, it's a more targeted approach. Uh, and there's been calls from our mate, friend of the show, James Patterson, and, people, and Penny Wong I saw a couple of weeks ago for this in Australia. So, that's really, I guess, the policy outcome you could see for dealing with this, which is just a horrific situation.
0: Yeah, I definitely like that more than boycotts. I mean, I don't think Castro would have had that much control over Cuba for so long if Americans didn't boycott everything, and which basically just gave more power over the suffering people.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting stuff like that. Like it's sort of often economic sanctions target the people in. Um, yeah, as I said, that are struggling already. Uh, so interesting, but yeah, it's uh, it's really it's it is it's hard to know what to do because it's just a. This big powerful country, like we're not going to invade China. Um, so yeah.
2: Mm. Uh,
0: all right. Well, returning back to Australia. So a lot of discussion over the uh, Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act over here in Australia. A uh, lot of stuff this week. This is basically where a lot of, I think this phrase is now being thrown around a fair bit. So green warfare, which is basically environmental groups using different parts of legislation to stop uh, you know mining and agricultural works and. What we found at the IPA is that most of the vexatious claims get de- thrown out in court, but obviously the process is kind of the punishment and things get delayed and jobs go unfilled and communities go undeveloped. So the development this week is that a lot of Labor MPs, from like the Labor Right faction, they're starting to come out and say, okay, these laws are going a bit too far. We need to repeal some of them because they are getting in the way of a lot of really important uh, job-creating industries. Uh, Specifically, Ralph Ciccone, who is a Victorian senator for Labor, he is calling for an overhaul of state and federal environmental laws to create new blue-collar jobs in the forestry and mining sectors. And, this is, you know, it's important stuff to see because we talk about how Labor is kind of not really the party of the working class anymore. It's more the party of in, inner-city, urban, uh, you know, wealthy people that don't really feel the same economic hardships as others when these mining pro- uh, projects fall through. So it's important to see them... Uh, labor rights start the labor right campaign starts to really pop the chest out and say we're still here, we're still talking about working class people.
1: Yeah, exactly right. I mean, politically, like in a parliamentary sense, the left across the West is absolutely stuffed with this divide between elites and what they care about, and working class people and middle class people and what they care about. And we're seeing that being played out with the ALP, as you said. You know, we were going to have after the election when they did all the, the analysis about what, how they lost that election, it was all going to be switching it back towards. Uh, the working middle class concerns that are more about the economy and things like that. I don't reckon that's really happened that much. I reckon that's been more rhetoric than actual substance. And these guys are about some actual substance and that uh, I should point out the Environment Protection and Diversity Conservation Act has increased by the, by 445%. That was a piece of information um, found out by Kian Hussey at the IPA uh, since 2000 when it was introduced. Um, and we had another couple of uh, ALP figures talking about how that the, the ALP emissions target should be reduced to what the coalition's um, emissions target is. So, look, yeah, it's interesting to see how that pans out, who's going to win in that debate that the ALP is having and... Um, it's a problem for it's a bit of a problem for the coalition as well. Like they have to sort of tread the line between, you know, some of their more wealthy constituents who care more about climate change, and we saw that at the last election, and, and other people who don't care as much. So it's interesting to see how both sides of politics deal with that going forward and it's good. I think it's good for the ALP. Yeah, well if you want to win like an this.
0: election, there's one way that is an election winning strategy and one way that is Bill Short and somehow losing the last election. So
1: yeah.
0: I mean it's out there, uh, and we'll see what happens from that. All right, Pete, you saw an interesting article over in the UK about the uh, from The Telegraph.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to mention this really quickly because we see that, um, you know, with lo- I'll talk about lockdowns and things like that, and there's been a lot of talk about how, the, for example, the Andrews government has stuffed up hotel quarantine. That has taken the spotlight off a little bit about whether lockdowns are actually good policies. Um, I mentioned an MIT study in the past that said that uh, if lockdowns were more targeted on people or, or, or any measures were more targeted on people who really needed it, as opposed to the whole population at large as a lockdown does, then double the amount of lives will be saved. So i just like to bring up these things as they, as they come up. Now, the Department of Health and Social Care, Office for National Statistics and the Government Actuaries Department and the Home Office in the UK. So what a report that is with about 25 government departments, part of it. Uh, put out a report that lockdown could cost the lives of more than 200,000 people. 185,000 of these are attributed to an extended wait for treatment. Now, I should mention this is a worst-case scenario mentioned in this report. Um, there's other scenarios which have a lower number than that. Um, and it comes after the most recent NHS performance statistics, which showed that the number of patients admitted for routine operations dropped by 82% in May so or in a year. Over the course of a year from may to may last year so yeah so what that means is people are putting off surgery and health systems are putting off surgery and that's costing heaps of lives plus there's you know the, the stuff about suicides and um and other health measures and things like that so it's just important to mention these things as you know these lockdown, lockdowns aren't free they come with a cost for sure good point
0: uh and last thing we're going to talk about before heroes and villains so IPA's got this brand new podcast out which we're really excited about australia's future which is a conversation between John Roskam and Tony Abbott about the Australian way of life, how it's under threat right now. Australia's Future, it's available on all podcast platforms, so wherever you're listening to this, Australia's Future is also available. It's also on YouTube and Facebook. It's a really great discussion, and the first episode uh, is Tony and John discussing the economic and cultural implications of coronavirus and a lot of what we were just talking about, how people defer to uh, sorry, politicians are deferring to experts rather than making tough decisions themselves. Uh, Tony Abbott got a bit viral calling for politicians to take a pay cut on this podcast, which is something that New Zealand's been doing, but Australia so far has not. Mm. So really great to see a former Prime Minister standing up for, I mean, as we say, if we're all in this together, then politicians should walk the walk. And I believe Saul is going to put a promo in for the first episode right
2: now. Another division mm. that has struck so mm. many people is that between the members of the productive economy, yeah, 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 the people yeah. who are losing their jobs the people who may Mm. come back to businesses that will never reopen, uh, and the public sector, sections of the media, Mm. the tertiary sector um, that have been telling the rest of Australia Mm. how to live without being directly impacted on it themselves. What What, does that say about Australia? One of the most grating phrases of this whole pandemic has been, uh, we're all in this together. Uh. Uh, Because, because, frankly, we haven't been in it together. Uh, We have got a private sector uh, calamity happening. Uh, And again, much as I respect the professionalism of the public service, um, no public servant has lost his or her job. Uh, No public servant has had his or her pay cut. In fact, in some states, their pay has been dramatically increased. Uh, In Victoria... I think politicians' pay has gone up, That's right. uh, while um, there's been this uh, massive job shedding in the private sector and the people who've still got jobs have in many instances had a 20% pay cut. So, so look, let's not please repeat this grating phrase that we're all in this together uh, because uh, what we are seeing out there at the moment is is a calamity for the private sector
0: So, yeah, like I said, it's all available wherever you get your podcast. wherever you're listening to this right now. You can also listen to Australia's Future, so check it out. Over to Heroes and Villains. We'll start off with Heroes, the Grunt the Pig Freedom Snort. This is for people that stood up for good things and freedom around the world, Grunt the Pig being the famous pig that was fined in Wangaratta for the crime of being a pig. Mm. If that's not a freedom fighter for yourself, I don't know what is. So, Pete, who is your Hero of the Week?
1: Well, as I mentioned at the start, James, I was, you know... I'm becoming, I wouldn't say I'm an out-and-out out modicus, but I start to have a bit more of affinity for the monarchy through this crisis, and that has only been increased by Princess
0: Anne. Because i got to say, like, I've known you like six or seven years now. When mm. we started hanging out, you were very Republican, very that's Republican. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, I just thought it was stupid, but now I get it. <laughs> so, like, when the Queen made that speech about how, you know, we'll all... We'll meet together. again. Yeah, yeah, that's right that she's only given four speeches that was like oh so you, it's good to have this figure that's above politics that um you know knows what it was like back then and is able to give the country continuity in a sense of yeah. itself and also i'm still a republican
0: that they, i think that's shane warren what's that sorry i'm still a republican so i say we can make that shane warren well if yeah shane warren sat us down and said we'll meet again everyone would be like okay this is, we'll get through this
1: warney never let us down when we needed him so yeah well done but um Uh, and I figured out that they were actually a net positive for the budget. That's what changed my mind as well. Um, Okay, anyway, Princess Anne, 70th birthday next month, gave an interview to Women's Weekly in Australia where it turns out she's really solid, unlike the rest of those royals who are horrendous politically, even though I thought they weren't meant to be political. It's okay for royals to be political if they agree with me, James. And Princess Anne says of GM crops, uh, it's been an enormous advantage in many parts of the world. It makes it much more likely to be able to grow what you need, which is, of course, a direct contradiction to her brother prince charles uh she says of climate change which has been you know the australian bushfires were linked by prince charles harry and william to climate change she says i don't even go down the climate change route i think the people manage the way people manage the ground is part of the discussion on veganism she said you can't have a world without livestock you know i don't mind vegans but um princess anne is big on cows uh Look, there's a few more here, but I might leave it, leave it at that. She checked with, I checked with Morgan Begg, because I do my research, James, uh, our resident royal watcher, and he said that she is 14th in line for the throne. So 14 people would have to die, or 13 people would have to die for her to get it. That sounds like you're
0: planning something, which I'm uncomfortable with.
1: I am absolutely not It sounds anything. like you've really got
0: a checklist.
1: <laughs> I just thought, because I don't really understand how it works, but apparently, you know, like there's... Lots of people in front of her, but you know, for showing that all royals aren't, you know, woke muppets, Princess Anne, you're my hero this week.
0: Nah, decent. All right. uh, Mine is so a few months ago, geez, probably even a few weeks ago, but every week feels like five months, but a few weeks slash months slash previous episodes ago, we were talking about how the New York Times had basically a coup and a whole bunch of writers were saying, that uh, running an article by Senator Tom Cotton over the Black Lives Matter rise put black New York Times writers in physical danger. None of them offered to resign because of the paper making life genuinely dangerous for their co-workers, which I found a bit interesting. And I thought that was a bit of a fake protest. So this is a real protest going down at the New York Times, because Barry Weiss, who was an opinion writer with the New York Times, has resigned from her post last week because of the woke takeover of the New York Times. And she did a Mm. really good resignation letter, she put it online, it was an open letter. And uh, I'm gonna read a little bit from it, so bear with me. But basically, here's the reason why she resigned. A new consensus has emerged in the press, but perhaps especially at this paper. The truth isn't a process of collective discovery, but an orthodoxy already known to enlighten few whose job it is to inform everyone else. Twitter is not on the masthead of the New York Times, but Twitter has become its ultimate editor. As the ethics and, and mores of that platform have become those of the paper, the paper itself has increasingly become a kind of performance space. Stories are chosen and told in a way to satisfy the narrowest of audiences rather than to allow a curious public to read about the world and then draw their own conclusions. I was always taught that journal- journalists were charged with writing the rough first draft of history. Now the history itself is one more ephemeral effer- 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 but now the history itself is one more ephemeral <laughs> thing molded to fit the needs of the predetermined narrative. Anyway, my inability to pronounce the simple word aside, I think that's a really important point to be making. It's really good to see it being made at something as influential as the New York Times. And it's completely true. A lot of journalists now are only writing things for the Twitter retweets to make sure they're okay with the work culture and the rest of us don't get the uh, facts and opinions that we should be hearing from.
1: Exactly right. She's just a moderate centrist. She's not like a you know, hardcore right-winger. Yeah. Uh, I liked a tweet that Claire Lehman wrote, who's the founder and editor of Quillette, about this. She sort of said, and I'm not going to quote it directly, but she said, you know, lots of young journalists and young academics slash intellectuals are leaving the mainstream media and are leaving the formal academy to join, you know, uh, and to have more, what would you call it, like vital careers. What's the word? Yeah, more a career of greater vitality, James, uh, yeah. outside of the formal institutions. Real jobs nah like as in i mean yeah real jobs but like intellectuals but outside you know like, fintechs, you like, like the ipa stuff like that anyway i thought it was a really positive take on it and it's true you know there's heaps of stuff that's not the mainstream media where you can learn about the world like quillette you know like the ipa so that was a positive spin on and, and maybe the new york times will just wither away <laughs> uh,
0: that would be huge <laughs> new york times <laughs> done warren culture killed it we'll check in All next right, week uh, Shall we do some villains?
1: Yeah, well, this is the Extinction Rebellion fake nudie run. As Extinction Rebellion protests enter their sixth day. So, as we know, uh, that was a fake nudie run to save the world, but they didn't actually get fully nude. So, the villain, the anti-pig the anti pig this week, James, who have you got?
0: I've got Christina Keneally, who obviously people know as the former New South Wales Premier and now uh, Senator. So, Christina Keneally is speaking at the Centre for Resilient and Inclusive Societies, which boy oh boy you'd have to pay me a fair bit of money to go to one of those panel sessions Center for Resilient and Inclusive Societies Don't you like Resilient? I do like it but if your place is called the Center for Resilient and Inclusive Societies I doubt you're either of those things Uh, but anyway so she's done the panel discussion and she I'll let her say what she says so she goes unfortunately they're talking about I don't know hate speech in society right sorry and here's where Christina Keneally decided to take things. Unfortunately, we have a lo- long way to go on this in Australia. We haven't even had a serious national conversation about how the Christchurch shooter was radicalised and how much of that radicalization occurred in Australia. This is all, that's her quote. I continue. It's not hard to see that some of Brendan Tarrant's ugly path was shaped by conversations and ideas in mainstream Australia, and no debate about hate crimes or their prevalence should ignore that. And she went to specifically mention an interview that Peter Dutton had with Ray Hadley, where Ray Hadley said that panic buying was committed by quote Toyota Hayatchi vans and the like being driven by Asian stocker block full of toilet paper. And Peter Dutton didn't say anything to outwardly reject what he just said. Now, a lot to say here. A lot to say here. First off, uh not that this is the point but it does need to be raised brendan tarrant was not radicalized in australia is radicalized in europe so the idea that this radicalization occurred in australia is simply incorrect but i mean we talk about the disconnect between elites and mainstream society now what is more of a disconnect and christina you thinking everyone outside of the canberra bubble or the nice Sydney bubble where she comes from is a racist wait- a racist waiting to be and they're on the you know they're they're speaking in a way that lets the next t- Brendan Terrence sit st- they're going like, oh, okay, this is mainstream. This is mainstream right now what's happening. And then the second thing, like Christina Keneally, former Premier of New South Wales and now a Senator, I would say that she is representative of the Australian mainstream in a sense. Mm. So how does she come to terms with the fact that she is just as mainstream as the ideas that she says are mainstream?
1: It's just second nature for you know, people like Christina Keneally to just, like, use such a horrific event to smear her political opponents. Like, it's just so cheap and unwarranted. And, you know, and you're right, like this whole, you know, everyone outside, everyone who waits for the coalition is a filthy racist. Everyone who lives in a country town is a white supremacist. Uh, It's terrible. I would also say... Like, I think that's ridiculous logic. There's nothing in mainstream Australia, whether it's left-wing, you know, normal left-wing stuff or normal right-wing stuff, which influenced this guy, okay? This guy was right off the political spectrum and I would never for a second think that this had anything to do with what, you know, coalition politicians or media figures or left-wing politicians or media figures. But if you're going to use that logic, this guy said he was like an eco-fascist. He described environmental... He described immigration as environmental warfare and said there's no nationalism without environmentalism. Environmentalism. G Q wrote a piece in August last year claiming fears of climate change, immigration and overpopulation are driving a new wave of violence. So does that mean that anyone who talks about environmental issues was part of this guy's radicalization process? That's what it's being suggested. Does she think By that, that logic?
0: One? By that logic. And then exactly. to the Ray Hadley and Peter Dubbin thing. Now look, that quote by Ray Hadley is, you know, ob- objectionable and I'd like to think if he said it I'd be like, Well, come on, like that's it's you know, it's not all one Type of people. But to say that that is like arming Ray Hadley's listeners to go, you're right, I know what I'm going to do about it. Like that mm-hmm. is just completely illogical and mean spirited and rot.
1: Exactly right. Uh, and it's just, it's good to sort of, I hate to use the word call it out, but it's so common for just for people just to be like, just to lazily smear people as being, you know, racist and sexist because they agree with them, disagree with them politically. It's just so, it's so, such an instinctive part of the armory of these people. Yeah. Uh, I find, and it, and it just happens all the time. And I think if you've got to create a society where people's whole lives are ruined by a moment of sexism or a moment of racism or whatever, you can't just throw the slurs around yeah. without any backing. You've got to have, like, like which mainstream ideas? Like, what, what's she talking about? Anyway, yeah, I that have, really uh, annoyed me.
0: Based on what you just said, I've got a book I'm going to lend you when coronavirus is over in 2027. 20, uh, now, your Bill and Pete.
1: Yes, mate. So I've got to scroll up.
0: It is the Queensland government banning plastic straws.
1: That's it. Now, I know everyone's worried about the future at the moment. I know that there's a lot going on pandemic, economic, Armageddon. uh, You know, there's an increase in suicides, there's mental illness, there's all these things going on at the moment. But there is one less thing you have to worry about, guys, because the Queensland government has thought that at the moment it's really important that they continue to push for a ban on plastic straws, cutlery stirrers, and plates. Uh, in a bid to stem the destructive effects of plastic on marine life and waterways. So South Australia's already done this. Queensland are trying to do this as well, finding time in between banning kids from going to school to send a message to their parents. Um, so public consultation by the Queensland government found 94% of people and businesses supported this ban. Yeah, right. Uh, I think it's important for people to realise on a serious note with regards to this issue. People do care about the ocean and they should and it's and they care about waterways, and I think that's important. When you have this conversation with your friends, you have to point out that the the reason that the ocean and waterways are polluted with plastic is because of developing countries like China and the Philippines and Indonesia and Vietnam, who, because they're developing countries, just don't have the money to afford uh, sophisticated waste management, uh, what are they called, systems, and that as they become wealthier, they will, and the best thing that can we can do for the environment and for specifically plastic in the ocean is for those middle-income countries to continue to become wealthier, so that's the good news around plastic. And Queensland government, you're my villain for, you know, just being silly.
0: I got two things to say. One, I could be wrong, but I remember hearing about the amount of plastic that was wasted in the US, which you know that study then informed US policy, and it's now coming over to Australia and it was over in Europe. I remember that was the original study was a school project.
1: Yeah, it was yeah. a it was an eight year old kid who no, a nine-year-old kid who who rang up three waste management things or something as part of a project and said, and came up with the figure that there was 500 million straws used in America every day. Yeah. And then, so that was just their project and, you know, good on them. Uh, And then that figure ended up being in the actual, I think it was, I don't know if it was the actual legislation, but the justification for legislation in several states in the US banning plastic straws was this figure. Which is incredible.
0: And the second thing I'm going to say is I remember there was like a four-week stretch of this podcast where we talked about plastic straws every week hmm. and I miss the old world. I miss pre <laughs> coronavirus
1: world.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Remember when that was like the biggest thing in the world? Yeah, straws, man. And we used, uh, to, we used to laugh at crazy woke ideas and now it all happened.
0: Uh, just I, I, I hate coronavirus. I, I, I hate it. I know that's a controversial opinion to hate coronavirus, but I hate yeah. coronavirus. It,
1: brave. it was a brave opinion.
0: Uh, yeah, it was controversial yet brave, which is what people come to this podcast for. Okay. Uh, now, we are going to go to our interview. I mean, it's, it's pretty heavy stuff, but it, it's just so important to be talking about. And like they said, this is a guy, Al-Mas uh, who uh, has suffered a whole lot at the hands of the Chinese Communist Party's approach to vegan muslims and we're just going to let him tell his story because people need to know about it people need to know what we're up against as a, as a human race right now so we will go to that now okay we now welcome on to the show someone i'm really looking forward to talking to uh almas Nizamuddin, welcome to the
3: show thank you guys
0: Now, Almas, uh, the whole country was captivated by some of the drone footage that we were seeing out of Xinjiang province in China of uh, Uyghur Muslims being led onto trains, many of them in blindfolds, many of them handcuffed and so much presence from Chinese uh, uh, security forces or soldiers, I guess. I don't know what you call them, but uh, unfortunately, this isn't a new story and it's something that you've been bringing to people's attention now for a number of years. So do you want to tell our listeners your
3: story? Ah, uh, thanks for having me. First of all, and also I uh, my situation is a little bit complicated for all of us. I'm from I'm my my nationality is Uyghur. I'm Uyghur Australian. And I came here two thousand nine and I got married in two thousand fifteen with my high school girlfriend. And after two years since from two thousand seventeen, uh Chinese Communist Party start occupied the students the Uyghurs regions from that nation. So in 2017, they arrest my wife because the reason she was studying at Egypt and she was a pregnant, they killed my baby. And then they send my wife to seven years in prison without any legal charge. Like it, it's been three years. I've been asking government to give me the evidence or proof of my wife's crime. Till now, I haven't received anything. It's not only me; like there's millions of people, they're living in the concentration camp, forcing the labors from CCP. Elvis, so, when yep. sorry,
1: sorry to interrupt. There, when, when was the last time that you've heard from your wife?
3: Ah, uh, twenty nine of March two thousand seventeen. Uh, I did speak to my parents-in-law. I did try my I tried call my wife many times, but. She didn't pick up the phone and I did contact with my parents-in-law. And then they tell me like she's been taken by undercover police like hours ago. So we're not sure when they're gonna bring her back. So I booked a ticket for very next day to go back to China. So I did stay there three months and I couldn't get any information. And at the end, Chinese government, they kicked me off from China.
0: Now, if you were to go back, would you personally be under threat of imprisonment yourself? Yes. I mean uh, it's such a sad story. Um is do we have indications that she is still alive and that she? I'm not sure. Day- I haven't
3: like I haven't got any news since three years. So I don't know if she's still alive or what, but I know my baby is they killed my baby. So I'm not sure about my wife's case and also after a few months after they arrest my wife they arrest my mom as well they're her they're forcing her to doing labors in the camp like few months ago they release her but about my wife's case everything is silence.
1: so there's a there's a uh, a Uyghur community in australia is this a typical um what's happened to you is this a typical story for the other Uyghurs? In Australia, do lots of have lots of people gone through the things that you've gone through?
3: Yeah, the every single Uyghur people, they they all lost their relatives, they lost their friends, family members. Not only me, that everyone has lost someone in Australia, in Uyghur community. Now,
0: researching this interview, I found that Maurice Payne has done some work when she goes to China in trying to uh, not only get information about your wife, but also some of the other Uyghur Muslims that have been imprisoned uh, that you've just talked about. Now, uh, is, would you say the Australian government's been helpful here, or would you like to see more, or what else would you like to see? Yeah,
3: of course, they, the Australian government, they tried what they can do, but of course, I expect more to, because my family members, is Australian family members, you yeah? know. I need my government to protect my families, and I just want to reunite with my family. I won't ask anything extra more than that.
1: So, Elmas, uh, you are a pretty prominent campaigner for the rights of Uyghurs, really. There's a number of news articles about you and your story. Has that led to you being harassed and intimidated by uh, CCP operatives within
3: Australia? And has that occurred to other people as well? Not here at the moment, but when I'm talking to my mum on the phone, she always, like, telling me I have to more be careful when I'm eating, when I'm driving. I don't know what CCP speaks to my mom, what they say to her. Maybe they can say to my mom, "Okay, we can do whatever we want. We can kill you, son. We can do something to you, son. So, at the moment, I haven't received anything like that. But I'm still scared.
0: as uh, Communism and socialism seem to have really come back into uh, popularity over the last couple of years, especially among young people. And China being the world's most prominent communist country, prominent communist country right now, what would you say to people uh, who are thinking that these are the kind of government uh, structures that they want to go and pursue?
3: Yeah, I want to tell the peoples, tell the world, they need to open the eyes. Like China now, they're trying to control all the world. Not not only in Xinjiang or the Central Asia area, even if they they want to take the Australia. They need the land. That's what they do to us. You know, like seventy years ago, they come to our country, they occupied us. They exactly want to do to the world. They want to control the world. That's what I want to say to the government, the government to the world, they need to be, they need to stand up for the justice, human rights. Otherwise, like happen to us now. It will happen to you all maybe soon. So we need to be more careful. Elvis, so
1: a lot of people listening to this will want to help uh, you and get involved in efforts to help your family and other people that are dealing with the same kind of thing that you're dealing with around the world. Uh, What organizations can help? What can ordinary people do to assist you and and other people Uh, like
3: you? I'm not really sure, but I... I also asked the government to support me and also US placed the sanction and restriction on the Chinese Communist Party's members over the Uyghur, all uh, the abuse to the Uyghurs. So I wish Australian government could do its part in the best way to stop genocide from the Uyghurs. Mm-hmm. And maybe if there's a chance, please everyone have to do boycott China, made in China. So maybe they will help us.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So that we, we spoke about that earlier on the show. That the Magnitsky, uh, um, the framework that the United States have worked and the UK have worked. Australia doesn't have one at the moment, but there are pushes on both sides of politics for that kind of rule to be implemented. Would that be something that would lift your spirits and lift the spirits of the community in Australia?
3: Yeah, maybe a little bit. But uh, it's like it's maybe it's part of the best stop the genocide from the Chinese government. It, it will help a lot for us, man,
0: I think. Uh, brilliant, yeah. Amos, thank you so much for joining us on this show. I mean, the whole world um, after the Holocaust said never again, and I think this is our generation's yeah. time to it stand up. And again. It is happening again. This is our time to stand up and put pressure on governments to get it to stop because, um, yeah, it's just really sad footage, and obviously yours is such a sad story, and we really appreciate you
3: Thank joining us on guys. the show today. Yeah, also, like, I lost my homeland. I don't want to lost my second country, you know? This is a beautiful place for me. I want to stay with my family in this place, but I don't want to lost it anymore. I can't lost it. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate
0: it. Okay, thank you to Amas Medin for that interview. Uh, bit of a mood switch right now because we are going to be talking about uh, some... Funny stories, so you know it, it's going to be a weird transition, but it'll be good. Trust me, because we've got peace on fine.
1: That's exactly right. No great chat with Elmas. Uh, on to more humorous stuff. In a heartwarming story from the U.S., teenagers are using the opportunity of everyone having to wear a mask to uh, buy booze, even though they're underage. So what they do is they put their mask on, and then they put a so they put the coronavirus mask on, but then also either put a mask of an old person. Or makeup so that they look like elderly grandmothers. So there's all these things on TikTok, or as I like to call it, of kids dressing up as grandmas. Some of them even had like a Zimmer frame thing. Like, you know, they're doing the whole act, going across the car park and then buying froth. Uh, One TikTok video had over 1.5 million views. Uh, Apparently, she did such a good job of acting and dressing up that the guy selling her booze asked her if she needed help carrying her alcohol to the car. So well done. Obviously, (laughs) not uh what's the word supporting underage drinking but i'm supporting ingenuity james um call me
0: old-fashioned call me old-fashioned Pete, but i i miss the days of the two kids in a trench coat one standing <laughs> on top of the other
1: i miss having to i used to have to approach strange men in car parks and go oh sorry mate can you uh that's a reversal. <laughs> can you get us so you know i should have thought of this but yeah so that's one thing that's you know pete's not fine worldwide that's the Pete's Not Fine Worldwide Edition. Now, Pete's Not Fine Local, but a chicken, a Victorian man, has been fined for driving more than 30 Ks to buy a specific type of butter chicken. He was caught traveling from Werribee to Melbourne, uh, the CBD. Uh, now, I sort of, I got fined 1600 bucks. by the way. Now, I empathize with this fellow's coming from. Sometimes you just want your favorite feed. He probably works in the city and hasn't had it for a while because he's under house arrest, I mean, lockdown. And um, I understand 100% where he's coming from. And I want to take this opportunity to point out the butter chicken is the, Best type of curry no
0: that's true i I'm infuriated that no public uh, in no public space has the name of this place or the name of the chicken been released
1: that's true yeah we've
0: got we've got chicken that would make a man drive thirty kilometers in a pandemic just to get his hands on it's and the rest it. of us have just got to go like well where, where's this chicken
1: yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of curry places in the Melbourne CBD and the fact that you know this person isn't that we're not being told which place this is 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 it disservice to all us? I, I,
0: I think the media has shirked its responsibility to the Australian people. Mm. And the only way to get back my good books is to tell me where I could get this damn chicken. Because uh, I don't even like Indian food that much. I'm eating this chicken.
1: I absolutely couldn't agree more. And I thought that you would bite off at my claim that white butter chicken is the best type of chicken. I think it gets a, be- a best type of curry. I think it gets a bad rap, like sweet and sour pork and margarita pizza is a real basic order. But it's clearly the best type of curry.
0: No, I'm the whitest person in the world, so I really cannot handle the spice that comes from Indian food. So, butter chicken is the only one that my pasty butt can handle. So, <laughs> there we go.
1: Please never mention your pasty butt on the podcast. <laughs> so, well,
0: now, you're not going to like the next segment. No, I'm
1: <laughs> <laughs> the next segment. Anyway, anyway, uh, last
0: last piece of
1: Well, James was really up and about about this one. Like this, this really. I definitely uh, had
0: heard of this brand
1: before. Lorna Jane Activewear is a favourite of James. They've been fined almost 40K for trying to sell clothes uh, and implying that it could protect people against coronavirus. Now, the argument that they made was that their gear has this special kind of, um, what would be the word they use? They call it a shield. Yeah, I've got
0: got it written here. It's like LJ Shield Exclusive Technology that stops coronavirus.
1: And they say, look, you guys think when you buy our activewear that – you're the first person to wear it, but actually heaps of people have touched it. So it's, it, this stuff does help reduce bacteria. The uh, Therapeutic Goods Administration saw it differently and hit him with a 40K. Uh, fine. Laura Jane also says, in a sense, you could, this is about their gear, after, the, after you buy it, which is not the best sell. In a sense, you could be touching somebody's armpit or groin with our garments. And oh. with our garments worn so close to the body, we knew we had to do something better. So... What's going on down there? at Lawn Packaging Plant? <laughs> I don't know how they do it down there. But,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't like active wear as a as a concept. Anyway, James, I don't think it should exist. You know, well, shirt I was going to
0: say, you know, they're right in a sense in that wearing active wear has a unique ability to, uh, is, like, yeah, this is an incredible, unique, unique ability to make the wearer sit around and do nothing. Yeah. So you just think about an item of clothing you can put on to encourage people to stay at home. It'd mm-hmm. be active wear. So, therefore, it does kind of stop people exposing themselves to coronavirus.
1: Maybe. So, maybe, maybe they, they should could go down have. that route. They probably should have. If they can appear, yeah. which I'm not familiar with the uh, process at the Therapeutic, Therapeutic Goods Administration, uh, maybe they uh, can If do. they
0: want me to handle their legal case, I charge an exorbitant fee. Um, but, you know, I'm available. Uh, next story we've got is Kanye West. We talked about his presidential run, which I'm happy about because it means that Kanye's got an album coming out in, I'm going to say, three weeks' time. Okay. I'm just going to rough guess, three weeks time is going to channel all of his thoughts into the release of a new album and abandon everything. But he did have a rally. It was weird. He was in a uh, bulletproof vest for some reason, and he talked about a lot of things, uh, some funny, some genuinely sad, and I don't really want to make fun of him too much about this. But I do want to point out one thing he did say, which was everybody who has a baby gets a million dollars. Mm. Your thoughts?
1: Well, look, people laugh about this, but as I've mentioned a couple of times, my brother and his wife just had a baby and the government just gives, them, just gives people who have babies vouchers for heaps of stuff or like a little care package just for no reason. Mm. So we already sort of technically do it, not a million dollars to be fair, but we already sort of technically do that. Um, I think this thing, people are like, oh, Kanye went nuts at this speech, cry for help. I don't know about that. I reckon Kanye is fine. I reckon he's trolling all of you.
0: Well, I, th- I still think this is an album launch, but yeah. And if Joe Biden is concerned about the Kanye West stealing his votes, uh, just say $2 million and just take away Kanye's best bet.
1: I didn't ask you what you thought about the $1 million package for people having a baby.
0: I already, I already said my bit. So yeah, I reckon we just it? move on. <laughs> it wasn't that good. <laughs>
1: I thought you just asked me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, that was part of his pitch to avoid abortions. He said he's not going to rule out abortions, but he might give people who have who want to have an abortion a million dollars to not have one. Was yeah,
0: I was dancing around that, but thank you for saying it out loud. Sorry, I'm going to move on <laughs> to the next one. Uh, all right. So, US Fish and Wildlife decided to get in on word culture this week with some pretty hilarious responses. Sorry, they tweeted out to kick off Latino conversation, for Conservation Week. We want to help clarify the term Latin X. This is a gender neutral alternative to Latino, Latina, and even Latin at. I don't know what the Latin at symbol is either. Uh, this term will be used frequently throughout the week. Now, Spanish being a gendered language, uh, you do have latino and latina depending and that's just ingrained in the culture uh, sorry ingrained in the language so u.s fish and wildlife says you know what we're not going to refer to it we're going to say latin x and the and the uh, latinos and the latinas got in the comments some pretty <laughs> hilarious replies uh my favorite one was just great now the gringos want to teach us how to speak speak spanish correctly which i love you, you you go all in like everyone's gonna love this we're woke we're hip we're cool
1: Oh, it was the so very delicious. people
0: you were trying to please.
1: Nah. Yeah, it was there was hundreds of them and it was just so delicious to watch this kind of, you know, this this pantomime unfold. My favorite was Latinx is about as culturally representative of true Latin Americans as Taco Bell. Can we like not? And there was heaps of them. Thank you for the glorious white people for inventing another word to call us minorities. <laughs>
0: So I like can... that is just a, a random sniper shot at Taco Bell <laughs> like yeah. Taco Bell and social media team Just scroll on the internet It's like, what What do we do?
1: Yeah, yeah Don't bring us into this uh, And the other thing I noticed, James About this is In the subsequent tweets from this mob Which are The wildlife people or whatever They've stopped using US wildlife to, and wildlife They've clearly been scared out of it So, yeah. you know Sometimes oh, public good. shaming on social media is good
3: uh, yeah. And side it's on note our
1: side. Yeah, when it's on our side It's good Side note what is Latin Conservation Week? Let's not forget that there is there is no reason for this to exist. Is this like what are you? What, what is this trying to achieve? Are they saying that trees are racist, like they were on the BBC the other week?
0: I I don't know. There just seems to be a week or a day or a month of literally every single uh, way you can organize words right now. So I think just one of them popped up. Do you reckon <laughs> yeah. there is? Do you reckon there is a single day in the calendar that does not have like a national blank day associated to it in some country somewhere?
1: No, absolutely not. I reckon
0: every day it's got like, you know, the national books written by three people in their 30s week.
1: It wouldn't have to even be every country. It would just be one country. Like just Australia would have one every day. I like this idea that like, you know, here, Hispanics, here's some fish you might like. Like (laughs) I just I want to see how this unfolds. I want to be obsessed. Next year I'm going to go on Latin Week, Latin Wildlife Week and find out Conservation Week. Conservation Week even.
0: I'll tell you what, the boardroom where it was decided would be all white. Oh, that's, that's, absolutely no doubt. That's my guess. No, no,
1: there was heaps of Hispanics in that room, yeah. Definitely. Okay, last one.
0: Bit of a uh, topic without notice. i got a stupid question for you, and I was going right. to leave until the very last part He's of the first? show. So, yeah, definitely not the... Probably might be the most stupid, but definitely not the first stupid question I've had for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, masks are going to become mandatory uh, in two days' time. And I'm freaking out a little bit because... Uh, Look, Pete, we know each other quite well. There are some areas in my life where I'm quite quite intelligent. I would say I've got like a high emotional intelligence, you know, <laughs> I'd say that. And there are other get areas where this I guy. Am, there are other areas, potentially more numerous areas where I am shockingly stupid. And three times I've left the house wearing a mask, but forgot to put it over my nose.
1: Really? Do you so reckon I'd get fined?
0: No, just like over my mouth, but not my nose. Like, I'm already terrified I'm going to be a meme of just someone taking a snap and putting me on the internet like, look at this moron. Like, every time I log on, I'm like, today's the day where someone catches me out on it. Do you reckon I'd get fined?
1: I don't think you get fined. They would just tell you to put it on correctly. I think that what you should be, when you just talked about how you're intelligent in some ways and stupid in others, I would point out that it's not in two days' time. It's in one and a half days' time. So
0: Well, this podcast is a bit long. So when it started, it might have been two days' time.
1: Mate, it's tomorrow night. Wednesday, 11.59 yeah. p.m. But I don't think you'd get fined. I think you'd get away with it. I think you would be you could become a meme like that poor woman from Brighton. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm Karen. definitely
0: in the next Karen from Brighton.
1: Yeah. So yeah. did you see Daniel Andrews mentioned her in the press release? Would have?
0: That was a bit much.
1: It's like, mate. Anyway, this has gone long enough already. But no, I don't think you'd get fined.
0: All right, good. Because otherwise, I like I just wouldn't leave the house. I do not trust myself to not to remember every single time to put it over my nose. Anyway, that is it for the show this week. Uh, yeah and you know make sure you're leaving us that five star review or any review on iTunes make sure you're telling your friends and family about the show check out Australia's Future and all the other podcasts we do around here five favorite books um, uh, looking forward podcasts we still get a whole bunch of listeners for the great books of literature which came out like two years ago which is always good to see and uh, yeah thank you to Almas uh, sorry thank you to Almas Nizmadin for a really important story and we'll see you guys next week see up. see ya